Edmonton Oilers are off to the Western Conference Finals, but because this is Sportsnet 650 Vancouver, how does that affect the Vancouver Canucks? <laughs> this is the Canucks <laughs> Hour with Thomas Drance and Let's Chris Faber filling in for Jamie Dodd this week. Drancer, well, they, Friday, they, they, how are you? They, 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 have, they haven't kicked you in or out of, of being my co-host this week, so that's good. No. no distinct kicking motion returning Jamie Dodd <laughs> to this program. Chris Faber's with us again. Love to have you. That was a brutal call on Blake Coleman. Let's start there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start there. Let's start with the fact that there is no way that was a distinct kicking motion, that his intent does not matter based on based on the uh, rule. You're able to direct a puck into the net with your skate so long as it's not a distinct kicking motion. There's no way engaged in a battle and on one leg that he had a distinct kicking motion a true miscarriage of justice, and if you were a Flames fan, or a Flames player, or Blake Coleman himself, I'm sure today that is infuriating. And it should be. That was a bad call. That should have been a goal. Yeah, I agree with you in that spot. I mean, my boy Zlatan Ibrahimovic couldn't have pulled his foot in that direction to no, kick it in. No, exactly. The way that you mentioned it is like, listen, kicking motion. That's the way that I look at the rule for a kick-in goal. Yeah. I didn't think that was a kick either. I know You're that- allowed to direct it in. The The kicking motion is meant to protect goaltenders from being stabbed by the fact that players have knives on their feet in the sport of hockey <laughs> so as to facilitate movement on a sheet of ice. And in no way was that a distinct kicking motion. The Flames got jobbed, and I don't feel an l- inch of pity for them because, you know, 33 years ago they advanced on a, on a distinct kicking motion that they absolutely directed in the net. Honestly, it reminded me a little bit of the Daniel Sedin goal mm-hmm. against the Kings in, um, I guess that was 09 or 08. And, you know, that wasn't that should have been a good goal, just like the Coleman goal should have been. Uh, both misses, in my opinion, in terms, of, in terms of the officiating. But, you know, you can't ignore the fact that the Oilers, over the course of that series, began to throttle the Flames. Like, they became the better team in the latter three games of that series. Um, certainly the latter two, I thought, were Edmonton's best performances. The McDavid line, I can't remember a line doing something like this in the playoffs. We've seen great performances from individuals, uh, from individual forward lines, but what the level that McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane are at right now is something else. And then, you know, I thought Jacob Markstrom played poorly. Like, I, yeah. I think at the end of the day, um, that was a big story. That was a big reason that this series is over now already is that Jacob Markstrom at no point in the series looked comfortable or like himself. Um, probably was a little banged up. Certainly was overused over the course of the season. Um, resting Markstrom better and more often has to be like step one for the Calgary Flames next year. You can't you can't waste a third season uh, of the six year extension that you signed him to. Um, you know, with one of the storylines at at the end of the year being Markstrom's usage was a problem. And, and clearly it has been in the first two years of that deal. That's tough for the Flames. I, I want to ask our listeners. I'm curious to get... Well, before you kick it off there, okay. quickly let me quickly get some business in here. Okay. The Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion yeah, pay the bills, foresight. Pay the bills. Build your company to win for years to come with the fuel-efficient or reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. That's the website. We're big fans of websites here on this show we found out this week. Drance... To talk about the goaltending situation a little bit, you're right. Like I think that is one of the big, probably the big talking point for Calgary Flames fans right now on what is the usage of Jacob Markstrom going to be for next season after the letdown that they just had in the playoffs from him. This yeah. was a guy who is a Vesna candidate goaltender for this team, and well, he wasn't able to do it in the playoffs after putting in that season to get him to be a Vesna caliber goalie. Five goaltenders in the NHL started 60 games, okay? 
Jacob Markstrom, shell of himself in the second round. Thatcher Demko ended uh, ended the season severely injured. Uh, UC Saros ended the season severely injured. Connor Hellebuck, uh, 9-10 save percentage when he's a career 9-19 goaltender. And Andre Vasilevsky, not sure he's human, so I don't know. <laughs> so you either employ a robot who's, you know, Hall of Fame bound, or you shouldn't be playing your starter 60 games. Yeah. That, for me, that's, you know, it's hard to argue against that just based on the data set that we have. 60 games, every goaltender who played it was either Andre Vasilevsky or struggled as the season went along with either injury or performance. So you probably want to lower the bar even further. You know, we're learning more and more about load management. 10 years ago, you used to play a goaltender 70 games. Oh, not 10 years, 15 years ago. You used to play a, a goaltender 70 games, 76 games. Brodeur would have 76 game seasons. Yeah. Now, granted, he didn't really play the butterfly, so it was a little less strenuous, and he only faced 20 shots a night. But nonetheless, you know, 76 games is a brutal workload. Um. You know, now, now it's like 70 or sorry, 60, 64 is sort of seen as the sweet spot. Lower that further. You know, as we learn more about the impact of fatigue, of, you know, um, of overall, like the, the load that athletes bear over the course of a season and understand how that impacts preparedness and optimal performance. Uh, you know, I, I just think a starter needs to be used even more sparingly than they ever have been, which sort of accentuates the importance of backups for me and, you know, needs to be something that teams are very, very careful about, have a real plan of attack for, because uh, I don't want to see Demko play 60 games next year for this Vancouver Canucks team. I think that will be a mistake. And, you know, I know that he'll say that's for you guys to talk about, not for me to think about. And that's totally fair. You should just be thinking about stopping pucks, but the team itself, the organization, every organization in this league needs to be thinking about how do we maximize the abilities of our goaltender for the highest leverage games that we're going to play. And and that means if you're going to be playing, you know, 95 games, which is, you know, customary for a team that's going to make the final four, 100 games if you're going to make the cup final, yeah. potentially. I mean, that's the max, but nonetheless. Um, it's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. But, you're, you know, you're in that 90 to 100 range if you're going to be competing for the ultimate piece of hardware at the end of the season. I, you know, I don't think you want your goalie going 75 times, which means if you're going to start them every game in the playoffs, 50. 50 is like absolute max for me, almost. Oh, sorry, sorry, I, like 55 max. And honestly, I, I even think you have to go less if you, if you have real designs on being a team that goes deep. Uh, the Boston Bruins did this every year with Tuukka Rask, right? It, it, once Tuukka Rask turned 30, he was like 55 games, 50 games. Uh, they were right to do it. They were right to do it. I think you are tempting fate or you employ Andre Vasilevsky if you're going well beyond that. I find it so interesting because, listen, we're in 2022. There's a lot of advancements in preparation for players and training for goaltenders. It is strange that we're at a point right now that you have to actually really start to look at it. And I think we've seen this with starting pitchers in in Major League Baseball as well, where you do have to set a limit on these guys to play because – for the best teams in the league, whether it be, you know, Calgary, I thought was a cup favorite for myself. Coming out of the West, I, I thought I pick, they were. I picked them to come out of the West. Yeah. I thought they were going to be the last Western team standing. They were my cup champion coming out of the, yeah. when I was going into the bracket here. I just felt that because of the goaltending, it was going to be something that was going to help them get past these teams like Edmonton, get past, you know, a potential big battle against the Colorado Avalanche because of their goaltending being so superior. And when you lose that in the playoffs because of what you did in the regular season, it does bring you bring up a good point. Like it would not shock me to start to see fifty five be like uh, you know a high mark for goaltenders moving forward, especially for teams 
in a spot like Calgary where you're confident in the rest of your team, you're confident you're getting into the playoffs, and you're confident you're winning the first round, then you can really start to say, like, okay, well, this is where the games get important. They're playing every second night. There's no games where they're going to have – there's no days off for a guy like yeah. you have in the regular season. You have to commit these things to goaltending, but it is strange to me. Like, how much do you think of it as just about the evolution of the position – of goaltending compared to what we had. Because like I said, it's 2022, man. They have the best training possible. They're doing a lot different things than they were when Martin Brodeur was playing 76 games. Well, yeah, and Brodeur was a stand-up goalie. Like, Brodeur never had to do a post-integration, right? Like, the, the demands on the hips of goaltenders 20 years ago versus today are are different. I mean, effectively what you're doing as an NHL goaltender, honestly, is like a highly strenuous martial art <laughs> that's incredibly um, taxing on your lower body, and you're doing it in the midst of a fast-moving game where you know you're up and down, right? It, just think about it this way: if there's thirty shots a game, both ways, and about seventy attempts, seventy shot attempts, it's not just the thirty shots, yeah. right? You're also reacting to the shots that get blocked or that miss. You're up and down. 70, 80 times a game on skates while also tracking play, um, you know, athletically moving about your crease, integrating with your posts, doing all sorts of strange activities with your hips. And, and I mean, we're already at a point about six, seven years ago, we hit a point where goaltenders began to young goaltenders, Thatcher Demko among them, began to have hip impingement sur surgery as a preventative measure yeah. designed to. So, so hip impingement, basically the joint. Think about think about the joint, like think about your fist, put your fist in your hand, and it sort of rotates about, right? Like the clean movement there is essential for goaltenders. If you if you have something abnormal, like if you stick your finger up and try to rotate it about, you'll see that that doesn't really work, right? That creates significant pain. Goaltenders started to have preventative hip impingement surgery to make sure that the joint um, was, was effectively like moving in a way that wouldn't create situations down the line. Thatcher Demko had this procedure... As a young man, like in his twenties, early twenties, I, I talked. I talked to an OHL prospect yesterday and a USHL prospect today. Both of their starting goaltenders got this surgery. Right. So this has become At like eighteen years old. Well, it, it's become the equivalent of Tommy John. Pitchers do yeah. the same thing in college. Like you get your Tommy John surgery, and then you have you know your two years of college before the before the entry draft. Right. I mean, pitchers have been doing this for years because again, it's the repetitive motion is cruel. Like it's cruel on the body, and for goaltenders, uh, you know. I just think the amount of strain that hits lower bodies is, is through the roof. And and look, partly my experience here or my viewpoint here is dictated by what I saw Roberto Luongo go through every day just to practice or just in the summer to have a summer session, certainly to play. You know, you're talking two hours of stretching and recovery and time on the table and time in the cold tub before morning skate. Um, first guy back at the rink in the afternoon, another two hours just rolling out constantly. I saw it. I saw the pain. I saw the fun of the game kind of leave. One one of the greatest to ever do it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he was old. He was 42. Like, you know, not, not like really old, but he was an older player. But the strain of, of playing as often as he did for as long as he did really caught up to him. I, I mean... I think you have to manage it in such a proactive, prescribed way right off the bat. And that, for me, is the lesson uh, of Jacob Markstrom's season. That's the lesson of every workhorse starter we saw play this year. Like, no one, with the exception of Vasilevsky, held up 
under that workload. And that to me needs to be front of mind for every team with designs on accomplishing anything meaningful next season as they, you know, get their schedule in, in early to mid June and begin to make their plans. Yeah. You know, like you need Spencer Martin to play not 10, not 12, like 25, 30. That's, that's where, where you need him to be at. 25 minimum for me is what Spencer Martin's going to need to play as Demko's backup next season. Because if this team makes the playoffs, we all know, we all know, we all know what this Canucks team is. If this team makes the playoffs and you want to give your fans a good show, well, you're going to need Thatcher Demko to be your best player, period, period. And he's, you have to create the environment where that's possible. And that's going to require a lot of rest and a lot of very careful load management. Yeah, you mentioned like you were going to see the schedule come out and need to plan. You need to plan like all 82 games, how that's going to work, and hope that they can stay healthy throughout the season. And hope that their form doesn't necessitate something dramatic. I yep. actually wonder if we're not too far out from seeing backups play playoff games. Hmm. Like, I, you know, I wonder if you take a lead in a series, it's one nothing or something, or 2-1, start your backup. You know, like, your backup can win a game. Especially, if, yeah, if there's any confidence in your backup, I, I can see it I, for sure. I, I honestly think that's going to be the next level where, where we're going to get to a point, and I'm not saying this is close because the playoffs are so dicey and the pressure is so high on everybody and everybody's put so much time into the season and to getting to the point that you're at that it's really hard to not put just your optimal lineup out, right? Guys rush back from injury whether they're healthy or not. Uh, I, I always joke that every NHL player becomes Wolverine in the playoffs, right? They all they all <laughs> heal in record time, right? I remember um, Tyler Toffoli had the walking boot in the bubble, right? Yeah. It was supposed to be six weeks, and it's like two weeks later he's playing, right? It's just remarkable what some of these guys are able to do and the and the amount of sort of pain that they're willing to play through in order to in order to be parts of these games. Um, you know, there's um. There's like a classic story about, um, well, anyway, there's uh the fact is though, is that I wonder if in the next 10 years, we're going to see teams begin to go with both goaltenders over the course of a playoff series. It's never really been done, but, but I think we're already at the point where like, are the flames better off last night? If Dan Vladar plays game two, I think yeah, it's hard to say they're not. I think it's hard to say no. For sure. And I think, you know, it, it's it's an interesting argument to bring up, especially after seeing a loss, mm. right? Like, after seeing, oh, we lost in game two anyways, would we have a better Markstrom in this game because of it? Like, the goaltending, I, I want to bring something up, too, with this, and like, in regards to, you know, we t I touch on baseball all the time as, as we do this show. Like, I'm curious to see if they ever get to a point of, like, using a backup as a relief pitcher type role. Like, you talk about something that we might see in the next 10 years of starts, but let's say you get up 4 nothing. And you're you're seven minutes into the second period. Is that time to put your backup in? Because think about it, you brought it up. It's not just the shots that you're facing or the goals that you're facing. It's the up and downs. It's every single shot attempt. It's preparing for, you know, that's thirty-three minutes of of game action that a goaltender can take off. I, I wouldn't be surprised to start to see that down the road as well, in sort of like a relief pitcher type of role. Who I don't know. I don't know. I just putting in a cold goaltender. Um, doesn't seem optimal. I sure. feel like I feel like you'd be risking that the first shot goes in and then the second shot. You know, teams start to pounce. NHL players probe for weakness. That's what they're. That's what they're genius level at. Right. I just so, think of like the Alec Manoa start the other week where he went eight innings and you bring in a closer. Like yeah, ninety percent of the time it's going to work out probably. When yeah. you're up two. Yeah. No, I know, but uh, you're right. I get it. I just 
I don't know if I'd go there. I just think that I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. But I certainly am ready for a team to consider having their backup play occasionally uh, in the early parts of a playoff series. And certainly I'm I'm here. I, I already think. I already think 55. Like, I don't think yeah. you should play your goalie more than 55 times if you're a team with serious cup ambitions. Now, if you're a bubble team and you're like, well, if we make it, we're going to be extremely lucky to just win a round, right? If you're one of those teams, then then maybe it is 60. Maybe it is a little bit more. But, you know, like Vasilevsky playing 62, for example, this season. Now, could work out for them because they're good enough. And because Vasilevsky. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know that I'd want to see that. If the Canucks were as good as Tampa Bay, I don't know that I'd want to see Demko play 62. I'd, yep. I'd want to see him play 50, 50 55. Especially because you're good enough to win without your goaltender carrying you every night. Like that to me is that to me is the sweet spot. And you know that's one edge that I think the Oilers had in this series. Mike Smith only played 30 games. He had that midseason injury. Um, you know, as a result, he's probably a little little bit more rested. That yep. matters, especially at his age. You look look at Shosturkin, right? Shosturkin played what 55, something like that. That's an edge for the Rangers. That's you know not that they're gonna. And it's really showing at this point. I think like. You yeah. don't have to look any further in Markstrom to see that it's showing at this point for the goaltenders that are in that spot. And Vasilevsky, we might like, I don't know, we have to just like keep him out of this conversation. But let's spin it a little bit here, talking about how many games you'd expect from a goaltender. This is the Canucks Hour, Thomas Rance and Chris Faber. You can get in contact with us on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com, where they have a whole section just about paint on DunbarLumber.com transfer. You can get all your paint needs there. Uh, but you can text us at 650-650. Uh, unsigned text here to the inbox. A 3-1 series, you should 100% start your backup. Thoughts on that? 3-1 series, is that when you go? Like when you're up 3-1, give no, your guy well, a rest in that spot? No, because um, I don't think so. I don't think that's – that's not where I'm at. I Because th- I think you're – if you win game five, then you potentially get like a week off. Like look at Tampa Bay, right? They've been sitting around now for, for days – if the Rangers win at home and Carolina hasn't won on the road yet, then they're guaranteed at least another four days off, and they've already had five. Yeah. So, I mean, the value of killing a series early at this time of year is through the roof. Like, very rare you see a Stanley Cup winner not have one quick series or two quick series. You know, it's pretty rare you see sure. a team win three game sevens the way the 2011 Boston Bruins did. Like, you, you kind of need to to pick your spots. Teams that go deep often have at least a round that they end in four or five. My my relief pitcher idea is getting shredded in the 650. Yeah, I, and right I, I think I think quite rightly. Like yeah, that's, no warm-ups and no bullpens. I see where people are coming from. It, it, <laughs> I was just floating it out there. We're talking 10 years down the you're, road. You're talking, about, you're talking about pulling a goalie during a shutout? Can you imagine not, oh. the reaction from the non-analytics crowd? My <laughs> yeah, goodness. True. Well, maybe let's... 5-1. 5-1, we'll say. That's when you bring in the back. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't bring in a cold goalie. No, I, I think that's right. And then, you know, bringing out the bullpen's a really good example. So, look, I'd have to see. I'm a fool, I'd have to see, I No, I'd have to see Dad on it. I mean, I've always thought it would be cool if you had a goaltender who was materially better at the shootout. Yeah. If you brought him in, like, uh, do you remember the Dutch soccer team used to do that with? Um, yes. I don't remember his name. I think his name's Crum or something, but, uh, but he plays for Norwich now. But they had this six foot seven shootout specialist goaltender who'd come on just for the PK, the penalty kicks at the end of games. Um, you know, I wonder if there'd be that. But but the material, like there are goalies who are better at stopping shootout shots over large samples. Marc Andre Fleury was one. Uh, I think Thatcher Demko might be one. Uh, there's there's a few of them. Um, would you you know? 
I've always wondered about that. That would be an area where I'd bring in a cold goaltender if they were materially better than the other guy. But I don't I don't think um I don't think the edge is significant enough and certainly it's not high leverage enough to worry about because the shootout goes away in the playoffs. Let's revisit this in ten years, Trance. Yeah, maybe I'll be ready to have the conversation <laughs> no, then. But, For now, though, I'm just like, Faber, let's, Faber, you've done so good. <laughs> it's been such a good week so far. Friday's here. Um, I want to quickly, though, talk about the situation with the Vancouver Canucks because let's bring it up. 52 games maybe is something that, you know, I think if you're a playoff team for sure, like you mentioned, I'd like to see Thatcher Demko play 52 games. But that means 30 games for a guy like Spencer Martin next year. And when we kind of brought it up that, listen, this Canucks team isn't for sure going to get into the playoffs next 25. year. I'd say, I'd say 25 is what I'd want to spotlight. That's still 57 games. That's not a small number for Thatcher Demko. But 25 games for me would be what I'd want to see my backup handle. So for this Canucks team next year with Spencer Martin, listen, six games this year, excellent performance with Spencer Martin. There's Didn't a he very, play nine? I think just six, right? Six starts? Uh, you'll have to look it up. Played played a lot in Abbotsford, that's okay, for sure. Fair but what I find so interesting is like this is a guy who, yes, he had an excellent year last year. Goaltenders have excellent years all the time. How do they follow that up? This guy's now earned a two year deal with the Vancouver Canucks. Is gonna be put into a role where this is now the biggest moment of his career for Spencer Martin moving into next season. He's finally being given this opportunity. He's finally you know, an everyday NHL player. And you know he's gonna work as hard as he can in the offseason to be prepared for it, but still Stepping up and backing up Thatcher Demko is a huge role, and if you see how much the Vancouver Canucks rely on their goaltending, yeah, Spencer Martin had a good six starts last year, but can he do that for 25 with the defense in front of him? Well, not to mention the margins are thin enough that if you get, you know, if say your goaltender plays 25, right? If he wins you 15 versus winning you 11, right? That, that four-win swing... I mean, that's eight points. That's the difference between having 96 and 88 at the end of the year, right? The difference between 12th best lottery odds and being in the playoffs could be, you know, four extra wins from your backup. So, yeah, it's as high leverage as it gets. Like, they are gambling hard here. And and what's sort of frustrating from a Canucks perspective is you should have this situation where, you know, if, if Martin, say Martin comes out and is a 9 15 goaltender, which is above average, well above average. That would be a great backup, right? That would be a huge backup performance, right? Yeah. If they get that from Martin and Demko's Demko, then you've got under $6 million invested in the goaltending position, and you're going to be in the top five in NHL save percentage, assuming that Demko repeats what he did this season, and you get 915 goaltending from Spencer Martin. That should be a huge edge for this team, but it's not because of the 1.9 for Holtby, because of the 1.25 for Halak. The Canucks will actually still be one of the teams with the most cap space invested into their goaltending platoon no matter what next season. They have to get through next season. Spencer Martin has to prove himself. And then the next year, because they signed Martin to a two-year deal, which was a smart gamble, if he pays out and, and is as good or is even just very competent, uh, not as good as he was this season because he was like a 960 goaltender yeah. <laughs> this season. But if he's just, you know, baseline, competent, good NHL backup, then you'll get significant efficiency there from your goaltending platoon in 2023-24, you know, a long way off. Like, it's it's still two years down the line, which just speaks to, you know, the cost of doing things the wrong way in every respect, <laughs> which is part of what... Rutherford and Alvin will have to be untangling over the course of the summer. Uh, text here from Pablo. Any team that clinches a playoff sh- spot should rotate their goaltenders for the rest of the year. Yeah, no question. I think at that point, yeah, once you clinch, for sure. And even once you met, like you brought it up, like it, with Tampa Bay, 
they're in a situation where why what are you gaining from already being a team that's in the playoffs like positioning in the playoffs does that really matter that much we've seen some teams like come into the playoffs here and and be able to just showcase that the lower seed can win and can play much better now but make no mistake there's a hard sell job that you have to do with your goaltenders right goalies want to play yeah for sure they, they want to play um you know when you're starter when you've clinched a playoff start spot and your starter's like I need to play to stay in rhythm and be fresh it's hard to tell them no right so it's all complicated you really need to sell you have you need to have your vision you need to have your data you need to sell that to the goaltenders think about the back-to-back thing think about how much we debate back-to-backs mm-hmm. it's not like people accept that goalies shouldn't play back-to-back to this day remember when Halak played the Ottawa game and then he got hurt and people were like, oh boy, you know, I don't know if they should have started him in that Ottawa game. And then Demko has two, or sorry, three rough starts and then gets hurt. And it's like, of course they should have played. You can't play a guy seven times in 11 days. Like, yeah. you can't do it. Even if you're the Canucks in the spot that they're in where they're just trying to get into the playoffs. Especially. Because yeah. what if what if they'd actually done it? And then they didn't have Demko in the first round. I mean... And you got a 950 goalie starting for you in yeah, the playoffs. Sure, but I mean, <laughs> my goodness, right? Like, you know... Especially when you have something to play for, you need to be willing to be conservative. But that really does take a lot of buy-in from the goaltender. We we often talk like, well, what's the room going to think? What's the room going to think if you, you know, well, you've clinched a playoff spot, but you're still fighting for home ice advantage. And you're like, well, no, we've got to play our backup every game or uh, stagger starts or, you know, it it takes a lot of buy-in. You have to have a plan. You have to articulate that plan. You have to sell it internally. You have to have a variety of people who are not well-disposed to thinking about things, people who are not well disposed to factoring in their own limits into their outlook on life because their entire life is about overcoming odds, right? I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to install, an easy mindset to install, but that's sort of what it takes. It's not just about having the, uh, you know, gumption or the, or the thought process to be conservative in your deployment of goaltenders. It's also about how you articulate that internally uh, how you sell that vision internally and how bought in you can get your players to be. And that's in a key a, thing, not just the goalies, but the players too, to know yeah, that there's a plan behind this. Hundred percent. You have to. Uh, it's 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 extraordinarily challenging. And I think it's interesting with the Vancouver Canucks. Like, how many times have we heard a player talk about Ian Clark helping him in a shootout or situations like that? Oh, yeah. To have a guy like Ian Clark be the guy making that plan and laying it out to players, I think that's a huge boost for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, for sure it is. For sure it is. And and yet, you know, I I do think there's. The Vancouver Canucks have not lost a playoff series in which they started just one goaltender in every game since 2011, since the since the Cup Final, right? Schneider at no point started in 2011 uh, in the Cup Final. That was the series they lost. The next, uh, in 2012, they waffled between Luongo and Schneider, mm-hmm. right? The next year, the San Jose year, they waffled uh, between between Luongo and Schneider. Schneider rushed back from injury, wasn't ready. Um, the, the year after that, Miller rushes back from injury after Eddie Lack carries them throughout the playoffs. They end up throwing Ryan Miller in. He can't get post-to-post. They blow a 3-0 lead in Calgary in Game 6. Season's done. Uh, and then, of course, they didn't make the playoffs until the bubble. And we all know what Bubble Demko did, but it doesn't change the fact that in that series, Markstrom was hurt again, right? Like, they were down their starter and and Demko played heroic hockey, but nonetheless, like when you're going between, we haven't seen this team just have stability 
in net in a playoff series they lost in in 11 years. Like it's it's always a story for this team. It's always become a story for this team in the playoffs. Um you know, I think that speaks to the challenges that they face and the challenges that every team faces in terms of managing goalie workload. I just think it's become one of the big stories, especially with Markstrom out. We now have one more 60 goal, 60 game goaltender in the playoffs. It's Andre Vasilevsky. I'm not betting against Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not betting against Andre Vasilevsky, but this might not be the last time we've heard the story. Um, maybe he can do it. Maybe he can. Uh, he, he certainly seems to be a robot in a lot of ways, but <laughs> You know, I, I, it's it's certainly something that makes me very nervous, and and that I think has had a massive impact on this playoffs already. Particularly when you consider that Nashville got swept, right? That David Riddick wasn't big save. Dave wasn't up to the task. Connor Ingram Grum gets thrown in, plays the game of his life. Still doesn't matter. Um, you think about Markstrom against the Oilers. That stands out to me as a, as sort of a significant turning point. I, I really think this is one of the big trends that you can take from this season and be really circumspect about. Especially because, think about it, Faber, like, this season had week-long breaks due to COVID. Like, this wasn't even a normal season, right? There was a lot of, there was a lot of sort of space and rests, and, and yeah, there was also a more condensed schedule when, when you were playing, but there was an all-star break. There was yeah. a COVID break. Like, there were pockets of the season to rest, and, and nonetheless... And with extra time for the Olympics, they were able to kind of fill in those spots, too. Like, you were yeah. expecting another break at that well, point. Well, and that's the thing with Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky almost had a full month off. Yeah. Right? Because the the Florida didn't need to cancel games because yeah, exactly. for the same way that other players did. So, uh, you know, the other places did. So, you know, that's another thing to factor in, and Vasilevsky maybe breaking the curve here versus some of his NHL rivals. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to get into the playoff teams that we kind of ch- touched on here, especially the ones coming out of the Western Conference. Let's save this for the next segment here and chat about how the Vancouver Canucks are close to the Edmonton Oilers or Calgary Flames a little bit, uh, and we'll chat a little bit more playoff hockey, which playoff coverage here at Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by the great folks at Play Now Sports. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. Their website, Okay. It's not the best. There's no DunbarLumber.com, I'll tell you that. On the other side, we're going to get into a bunch of the Vancouver Canucks chat and how they compare to the Oilers and Flames. You're listening to the Canucks Hour here with Thomas Drance and Chris Faber on Sportsnet 650. Back for the second segment of the Canucks Hour today, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. That's avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, before we start to make some comparables between the two Alberta teams and the Vancouver Canucks and maybe how far away the Vancouver Canucks are from getting to that point of being a team that can compete to go to the Western Conference Finals... I just want to talk about that, like, basically what felt like, what, 110 seconds of just utter hockey fun in that game last night between the two Alberta teams. In the second that period? Was so much fun. Yeah, incredible. late in the second period. You couldn't look away from the television because if you did, you probably missed a goal. 100%. Uh, how much fun was that sequence for you just watching these two teams just explode? And that whole second period, really, like seven goals in the second period. Where I know. the Oilers kind of, you know, score all four of their goals in regulation at that point. Obviously, the biggest goal of the game comes in overtime, but that second period, to see seven goals in the second and zero in the third, like, what an exciting game last night to, to watch. So my buddy was hosting a Just for Laughs thing last night, so I went to see him, and I didn't watch the game live. I PVR'd it, and I watched it this morning. But I had my alerts on 
You know, I had my 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 alerts, my game alerts on. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and my phone is off, of course, because I'm a courteous audience member, and my phone just starts going completely ham. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? What is going on? And then, you know, occasionally between sets, I'd quickly glance at my phone. The other weird experience I had was I was like, okay, Blake Coleman, put them up. And then the next alert I get, and the next time I check my phone, it's like, Edmonton has won in overtime 5-4. <laughs> like, it didn't make sense. because <laughs> yeah. It's not like they send me an alert for a disallowed goal. Uh, I was I was quite confused, and then when I watched the highlight, I was even more confused because that call made no sense at all. Um, all right, the Canucks, the Oilers, and the Flames, the Western Canadian teams, right? The Pacific Division came down to the Battle of Alberta this year, and ultimately it was Edmonton of the eight teams in the Pacific that prevailed. A uh, bit of a surprise to me. I, I, I wouldn't have picked Edmonton to be the last Pacific team standing at the start of the season. I thought they were a playoff team. I, I never really wavered from that either when they struggled in midseason. Uh, but I, you know, I, I thought they were a quality playoff team. I didn't see them as being better than Vegas. I didn't see them being better than Calgary. Um, good for them. Good for them. So this sort of brings us back to a question. Now that, now that the Pacific is settled, how do the Canucks stack up against the Oilers and against the Calgary Flames. What's your view of this? How far away is Vancouver from being a team capable of hanging in the in the five-gamer that we just watched in the Battle of Alberta? I think they're a ways away at this point, especially looking at how deep Calgary was, how they have a strength of having one of the best lines in the NHL, especially proving that through the regular season. But ultimately, it comes down to what you can do in the playoffs when you get into this spot. So literally, like you can win the Pacific Division in the in the regular season. That's great. But that's not going to get you to the conference final. You have to win playoff series in the Pacific Division against Pacific Division foes. And the thing about the Oilers that's so scary is obviously the guys at the top of their lineup. Like That is the thing that you're going to have to prepare for if you want to come out of the Pacific Division and go and battle against the best team in the Western Conference Finals. You have to be able to beat the Calgarys and the Edmontons. And with Calgary, it feels like obviously the goaltending was something that let them down. But I do think the Oilers also just did a good job of being able to match their top talent against the Flames' top talent and be able to win that way. So I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you're looking at how this Pacific Division you know, shook down in the playoffs here, you have to kind of look at the situation and be like, they're going to have to be able to do something against the McDavid and Dreisaitl line for years to come because they're not going anywhere in Edmonton. You're you're gonna need to shut them down, and and there's no easy answer to that. Like Slow I have them no, down. yeah, <laughs> you're not shutting <laughs> you're not shutting down that pair. Beat them somehow. Um, the Canucks this season won one game against the Battle of Alberta teams. One, so one of eight. Yeah. Now they they lost to the Oilers in the shootout in the last game of the year. The Oilers rested all their best players. And they lost in a shootout to the Calgary Flames in one of their worst performances of the year. Do you remember that? They, they, they could have played 180 minutes and the Canucks wouldn't have scored. <laughs> yeah. Um, zero, zero, or was yeah. that was that an overtime loss? I think that was a 0-0 shootout because Shoot- I think we okay. went through shutouts for both goaltenders. Got it. Both, okay. Yeah. So, you know, eight games played. Eight games played. Three results in which the Canucks were either tied or won at the end of regulation and five losses. Um, I'd say it's fair to say there's some work. Wasn't overtime lost. It wasn't overtime yeah. lost. Okay. So, uh, in any event, less than half the time, the Canucks were level, 
right? Five losses, <laughs> five losses, one win, one win total from those games. That suggests there's a pretty big gulf. There's a pretty big gulf to close there uh, for the Canucks. And they lost the first game of the season to Edmonton, right? They lost the first game of the season. But for the most part, seven of these games come in the Boudreaux era. So seven of these games are, are even if you're one of those folks who believes that the Canucks found this new form under Boudreaux and everything is solved, 106-point team, they still were 1-7 against the teams that we watched last night under Boudreaux. Um, that does suggest to me that there's a pretty significant gap for the Canucks to close. And I think when you look through how that gets narrowed, right? First of all, you look at Calgary this offseason, and we know there's going to be some cap trouble, right? We, we know that. You've got Gaudreau coming up. If Gaudreau wants to maximize his income, if he wants to go to unrestricted free agency, he could be for sure a $10 million player or an yep. $11 million player. He, could he break 12? I think it's possible. I think it's within the realm of possibility if he's willing to sell his services to the highest bidder. If that's what he decides to prioritize, I think he could be the second highest paid player in the league within the next six weeks. So that that's a possibility. You've got Matthew Kachuk, who they bridged the same summer that the Canucks bridged Brock Besser, and that's resulted in zero playoff wins, playoff series wins, or sorry, one playoff series win. Um, you know, one they won a division twice. But nonetheless, I would call that a bit of a waste, right? I mean, you could have had Kachuk locked up at nine for forever. Now they're facing a pretty thorny negotiation with a guy who just had a 100-point season is one of the most unique players in hockey. Andrew Mangiapane, he's, I mean, at the very least, if you're Andrew Mangiapane, you've got to say, well, I'm at least Brian Rust in terms of the valuation of my unrestricted for agent seasons. I think there's a real chance that Mangiapane's next contract starts with the number five. And yeah, sure. you throw those guys together, I mean, it's going to get dicey really quickly. Now, the Flames have some wiggle. There's some things they could do to wiggle. Uh, Dylan Dubé, in particular, I think would have real value. Like, I think Dylan Dubé would net a pretty significant asset if they decide to move him. That's a good contract, but maybe one that the Calgary Flames can't afford, considering where he plays in the lineup. If you needed to move that money to re-sign Gaudreau, I think you could do it. If you really had to, I think you could probably work with Milan Lucic, too, on finding a new destination. Lucic is so unique still as, like, one of the very few heavies remaining. Like, you know, there's not a lot of heavyweights still in the league, right? Milan Lucic is one, no questions asked, and played really well. Played really well this season. Um, so I think if they if they needed to break glass in case of emergency, I think they could probably find a taker there. My guess is they'd prefer to have him back. He, he adds so much to the identity of their team as just this sort of like big hard scrabble group. So the flames have some navigation, uh, some, some sort of wiggle to do. But I think one thing you're betting on, if you are optimistic about Vancouver's prospects of catching the Alberta teams is that the Calgary flames aren't as good next year, yeah. right? Markstrom gets older. Tanev gets older. Can't always rely on those two staying healthy. Uh, you've got, um, you know, Shillington played maybe above his level over the course of the season. Uh, you know, Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson are really good, but they're they're going to be up in what two, three years? You've got, I know you've got it up. Yeah, I mean, you got Hannafin coming up in two more. He's got two more years. You've and got, UFA. Yeah, UFA at that point. Rasmus Anderson's locked down for four more. Okay, but, so but you look at this when I'm look. I got the cap friendly in front of me here. Just looking at it, they don't have ELC talent right now on their lineup. They don't have that being a boosted. To the offense right now for the Calgary Flames, although they have Pelleche, yeah, the Canucks have no one close to Pelleche, right? And and who's the other guy? They have the um, Zeri, 
Connor Zary is pretty good. Yep, Canucks is pretty good. Zari would be Zari and Pelleche would be the best prospects in the Canucks system. Period. Yeah, they would. not close, right? Even you, you agree, right? Well, I've seen Pelleche a lot, and he's he's excellent. He's so, big. He's so, strong. He's fast. So even the man who has the most favorable takes <laughs> on Canucks prospects agrees with me. The the Flames have at least two prospects in their system better than anyone in Vancouver's. Yeah, and maybe three with Dustin Wolf. Well, yeah, excellent a goaltender. I mean, he's probably going to be their backup next year. Yeah, most likely. So, yeah, so you're right. Dustin Wolf was probably the best young goaltender outside the NHL last season. Okay, so that's yeah. what Calgary, Calgary is in a pretty I'm good I'm not sp- super sold on Connor Zari, but I'd say, like, the combination of Zari and, and Wolf, like, gives you two prospects, like, better. Anything well, but, but, but Peliche is the guy. For sure. Like, for sure if, if, and if Calgary decided that to sell Peliche, like, that would be an atom bomb type asset. Oh, teams, yeah. teams around the league think Peliche is. You know, really good, really good. Now we talk about Edmonton. So you you could bet on Calgary. Things are going to get dicey cap-wise for Calgary. So I want to summarize this, and then we'll move on to Edmonton. Things are going to get dicey for Calgary cap-wise this summer. It's navigable to me. I look at that as navigable. I would be saying, if, if, we, if I was covering that for the Canucks, I would be saying, the hard decisions facing the Flames are as follows. Can you keep Goudreau, right? That's number one. If you can then you may have to consider a Dubé trade, right? And and potentially a Milan Lucic trade. If you can't, then you have to lock up Kachuk long-term. Uh, you have to lock up Mangiapane long-term. You try and use the productive season that you had to get them on as team-friendly cap hits as you can. And then, you know, you're, you are going to need to replace an elite talent in Goudreau. Yeah. That's hard. That's really hard. If you lose Goudreau, you're probably not an elite team next year. Uh, which is, you know, tough. They they may have missed their window here, uh, but there's there's options there. One other option that I forgot to bring up for Calgary because he's not at the top of their cap friendly page. He's currently on their LTI. I, I do think you could still deal Monahan if you needed to. That would be the other one that I'd look at. As uh, there's only one year left on that contract. If you if you needed to, I, I actually think you could probably get a return. There's probably teams that would be interested to see if there's anything to milk there. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe if you retain a little bit. But there's there's some. Ki- cap space you could clear in that situation as well yeah with a guy who's battled so many injuries for the last little bit that yeah the money it, it's high for Monahan for sure but I do agree with you where I think that a team might want to just see if that's a player they can add like you mentioned if there's retained money but, but he's just unfortunately because of the injuries he's not been valuable enough to live up to that contract that he signed no, with the Calgary Flames. no but but I think there's some teams that would roll the dice particularly if the Flames either took money back or retained and yeah so but it just like you kind of said it this felt like their window like this season, especially totally. Like I don't want to say last year was even the one. Even after they make the big signings of bringing in Markstrom and Tanev, this year felt like they put everything together and was like, "Okay, we're gonna go for it. We're yeah. gonna go for it. We trade our we trade some futures for Tyler Toffoli. We we're not gonna have many more of these Pelches coming into the future to boost our team over the next three years. This is our year. We have that little bit coming up. When you look at Zari and and Pelche, I don't think Zari's in the NHL consistently next year. Probably, I not. think he's an AHL guy next year, but. You know, Wolf's going to be a backup. That's good. But you all you really have is Pelche coming up. And the Stockton Heat were a really good AHL team. Like, this season, they were one of the best, uh, obviously, in the Pacific Division, as well as now moving back to Calgary. So they're going to see what it's like to have a local AHL team as well. So they can try out different bodies. But this year felt like an all-in push. It did. And well, it was. But but I'd note this. I'd note this, though. They uh, Because of they acquired Toffoli, right? Because they're going to be able to retain Mangiapane and Kachuk, they can't. They don't have anyone who can replace Gaudreau. I don't want to say that they do, but 
they are well positioned to manage his departure should he depart. Right? That that they are well positioned. And that's a hard thing to do with a Johnny Goudreau. It's it's really hard for an NHL team to say that yet yeah, we we could be comfortable if we have to lose this type of player who you know, was getting heart votes this year. Right, and he deserved heart votes. And this, yeah, what this he did year. at five on five is ridiculous. We have I don't that think was the we've best line that. in hockey yeah. until the playoffs when right. David Tricital <laughs> and, and Kane got put together. Uh, okay, so we've talked them quickly. Flames could take a step back next year, but probably not significant enough to close the gap on itself. And in addition to having a far better team now, a far better blue line, um, they also have multiple prospects better than anything Vancouver has in its system. And especially coming in the next year, like massively different. This is such a Vancouver. useful exercise too to emphasize the point that I've been trying to drill home for a long time, which is that it's not just that the Canucks aren't good enough now. They don't have enough coming. They're, they're, they're You can't have a worse system than the Calgary Flames who are significantly better than you today and just assume that everything's going to hit for you. Like the, this, the volume of young talent that this team also needs to accrue is through the roof. And that's going to be true. Even if the flames lose their single best player, I right, talking about Edmonton, what Edmonton's done in this playoffs, particularly at the top in the lineup is nothing short of scintillating. And yet, you know, if they'd bought out Miko Koskinen, they could have had 30 million in cap space last off season they could have set themselves up for five years, opened a five-year window of contention, and instead they bring in Duncan Keith, they re-sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they pay Zach Hyman, who's been playing incredible hockey. Um, uh, Mike Smith comes back. Uh, what else do they do? They extend Darnell Nurse. That extension kicks in next year. What's that, a $5 million lift over his current cap hit? Yeah, four and a half, something like that, yeah. And, and, then, and then you've got Kane, who's a UFA and is obviously crucial to what that team has accomplished. That's not going to be an inexpensive contract if you want to re-sign uh, Evander Kane, I think. Um, Especially if you give him any term, I think he's looking at that. Like, I could see a team taking a one-year swing on him, but not a team that's going to be in the playoffs, honestly. Yeah, no. Like, I, that's it, the thing. That's why I think he would like to stay well, here, this, and if he can prove it another the year. The hockey situation's so good for him, right? I mean, I, I if I'm Evander Kane, I would, I would be hoping that Edmonton can move some money around and, and keep me. Now, how much available cap space are, are they looking at this, uh, this offseason? So going into this offseason, they have let's pull this up real it's like quick. 15, uh, 20? Yeah. So after everything, they have seven million dollars no. in cap space going into oh, this offseason. So that's really tough. The nurse money makes a big difference, right? Well, like that and that jump up. If you needed to move Keith, he's only got one million in actual salary despite a five ish million dollar cap hit. You you might even be able to get an asset from Arizona to <laughs> to offload <laughs> Keith, uh, considering that. So uh, there, there's ways for them to navigate it as well. They've got some interesting deals uh, to help them do so, but they don't have a lot of cap space to improve. And and here's the thing with Edmonton: like on the one hand, you've got McDavid and Drysital, and they're an atom bomb weapon that the Oilers are going to own for a decade. It's going to be really hard for any team to to match that. But I don't think they've got a lot coming on defense. Right, I, I'm not a big Broberg fan. I'm not a big Bouchard fan. Yeah, I'm with you there. I like Bouchard. I think he's I think a good he's offensive fine. defenseman. Yeah, for sure. sure. But I, I just I'm not I'm not seeing Bouchard in tough minutes. You know, like I'm not seeing him as a future matchup guy. Right. So I like his offense, though. I like him on the power play. I love that shot. Uh, I think he's a smart player. I just I don't see him as uh, an every night, you know, battle battling in toughs guy at, at any point. Um, so there's a lot of work to do there. My view of it is that the Oilers sort of accomplished something kind of like what the Montreal Canadiens did in the 2020 offseason. They had 30 million cap space. They used it on a bunch of upgrades that I think 
will matter in the short term. I always thought would matter in the short term. Thought Hyman was a great player for them to add for this season, but that deal has some real downside for me. Like I, I'd be really worried about what that deal looks like as Hyman becomes 31, 32, 33, particularly because he relies so heavily on winning battles and physicality. The Oilers are a team to me that, you know, on the one hand, uh, has significant flaws still to fix, particularly in net, uh, particularly on the blue line. They don't have a lot of flexibility to do it. They sort of cast their die uh, on this team this past offseason. That was their window to make a, a significant quantum leap forward. Uh, they've done it. They're in the conference final. You can't hate on that. But I, but I think there's storm clouds ahead for that team. I think there's gonna that team's going to require a ton of flexibility to take another step forward. And I still think they need to take another step forward because I don't see them as elite despite them having now won eight playoff games halfway to the cup at this point. So the Oilers, for me, are a team you could catch if not for the fact that they have McDavid and Dreisaitl on their team. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know how you match that. They're, that alone is going to keep them as, at the very least, a playoff caliber team in the years ahead. Um, you know, so it, that one's the, the Oilers are an interesting one to me because you know they're going to be good. I don't know if they're going to be great at any point. And, and while I liked their upgrades for this season, I think the opportunity cost of what they did this past offseason was really high. Even if it's got them to where they are today, celebrating a playoff series win, a Battle of Alberta series win today. Um, you know, I see storm clouds ahead for Edmonton. I see that as a, as a situation where their flexibility is a little bit more limited than Calgary, even though, you know, with the elite talent that they have locked up and the fact that Calgary might lose an elite player and the fact that Edmonton just won that series, you know, situationally, I think you'd rather be Calgary for the next year or two than you would want to be Edmonton. And that's sort of an interesting dynamic here. And in, in any event, in both situations, the Canucks have a ton of ground to, to make up. They don't have a big cap flexibility advantage over Calgary. They they sort of do over Edmonton, but Edmonton's got their guys locked up where Miller, Horvat, Besser, Patterson all become more expensive in the next two, three years. That's sort of what makes this all so dicey for Vancouver is they're not as good as these teams right now. Over the long haul, all of their good players are about to get more expensive <laughs> and they don't have enough coming. That's why this is such a complicated offseason for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, although, as Rutherford put it in his season-ending availability, complicated, but doable. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun offseason as well. Follow the Vancouver Canucks. We can also follow the Vancouver Canadians. They are back at the Nat. For tickets or info, visit Vancouver. Visit CanadiansBaseball.com. See you at the Nat. Some great food, obviously, down at Nat Bailey Stadium. Go check out the Seas. Uh, keep listening to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. This has been a great week, Drance. I appreciate you having me in here for three days. Jamie will be back on Monday, but I will be ringing the bell for you on Monday as well. So uh, that wraps up a week here for the Canucks Hour uh, coming up next, The People Show here on Sportsnet 650.